Good morning, church. I truly want to believe you had a good week under the present not-too-pleasant circumstance that we keep finding ourselves in. We try to make the best out of these limitations. That's the way to keep our wits together, church. Sometimes we get too concerned about when this is going to be over and all the things that you're missing out there. But one of the better ways to manage ourselves mentally is to innovate within our limitations. And I think that's a very key word, especially at this time. Please be innovative within your limitations. Find your find your innovative self, especially now that we find ourselves in isolation. I came across something not too long ago, and this gentleman was saying that um, in prison, which is bad enough to be incarcerated, if they want to punish a prisoner who is misbehaving, they put him in isolation. Actually, they call it isolation. Now, you'd be wondering why somebody being isolated is punishment. But uh, truth be told, isolation can be such mentally brutal. And they say that so many prisoners at that particular moment when they are put in isolation, many can't stand it, they break. So I want to, again, uh, request us, rather than to keep thinking, wondering um, about getting out. Uh, let's think on how we can be able to make this uh, isolation um, a little more bearable. And one of the other things you can do while there is to be able to create and do things which ordinarily you didn't have the time to do. Anyway, I want to welcome you for today's uh, uh, sermon. I'm here with uh, Rispa. Um, it's about uh, 6.30, they're about in the morning, Sunday morning. The birds are chirping away. It's been a cold night. It's been raining. So we are all covered up like a ball of wool. But be that as it may, we thank God for this wonderful new morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to share. Lord, we thank you because the entrance of your word gives light. We pray that, Lord, you will give us a revelation or insight into your will and your way and make this a moment and a time when we shall grow, become better, become bigger, gain resonance in you so that we can forge ahead in great vitality strength and power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have titled my sermon um, Staying Afloat and uh, have picked a Bible text that actually has to do with somebody literally staying afloat 
because this person found themselves in a shipwreck. The story is found in Acts 27. It's a long passage of scripture because if you start from verse 1, Acts 27, you may have to go uh, quite all the way to the very end of that particular chapter. So we will avoid reading all of it because of time, obviously. But then we shall pick a couple of things and highlight um, some principles on how we can be able to stay afloat, especially now, church. And I would kindly request that you take that which you're going to share today uh, to heart. Like I said a couple of Sundays ago, um, moments like this, you find yourself very uh, pointed and very deliberate in what you share because you appreciate the fact that um, many of us do hang on to every word that um, we hear. So I am very careful on that which I share so that we can be able to draw as much as we can from every one of our sermons, seeing that now we don't have the regular meetings that we had prior to this isolation. So, um, one very wise man said something before I read the scripture. He, he said that life answers to what it must. In that statement, this wise man was trying to say, what must happen, happens. And I'm happy to say to all of us, the entire world is determined to end the scourge that is coronavirus. It just has to happen. Life answers to what it must. And for me, that is a ray of hope. Action springs from what we fundamentally desire. We all desire to get out. We all desire to resume our normal lives. We desire to leave. We desire to leave. One of the things that I learned this week is that this is actually a very bad time to die. Unfortunately, I lost two uh, good friends through death and they were being buried this week. In one of the funerals that was held on Friday, they streamed live part of the funeral. And I tell you, for a man of such great dignity, it was sad to see so few people. I understand the health protocols now or the new protocols are such that um, there can't be more than 10 family members in a funeral and I think five officials, government officials or something like that. And I was just imagining for a man of such tremendous influence and tremendous impact, seeing a handful of people it actually indignifies even death. So let me let me say this. Um, this is even 
if you didn't have another reason to stay alive, church, um, take it from your pastor. This is a very bad time to die. There is no dignity in your send-off. There is no dignity in death anymore. So, um, on a lighter note, uh, kindly postpone death. It's uh, very indignifying now. Uh, postpone any heart attack and anything else that may want to take you out. In any case, we need you. We all definitely need you. So, back to what I was saying, that um, there is such a dogged determination. Dogged determination. And this is coming from not just a section of the world. We have a little saying around here, whenever there is a power outage or power blackout, we normally step out and then check how wide the impact of the blackout is. And you have always noticed that um, as long as the impact of the blackout is wide, for example, we look through um, or we look across uh, where we live and we see the Goto doesn't have light, they're also suffering from the same. Or maybe we can see all the way towards the Goretti or Karen. Then we happily go back and tell ourselves the lights will be back very soon. For the simple reason, there are more hands on deck, more people calling, more people who will be agitating the uh, power supply um, company to bring back the light. And this is one of the times where the entire world is agitating and the entire world is lobbying and everybody is doing what they must to see that the situation changes. So I think I think for that, you know, from where I sit, that gives me that gives me uh, quite a lot of hope. Quite a lot, a lot of hope. I was thinking of the statement people normally use um, whenever you find yourself and uh, you know attack. We normally say um, it's me against the world. I think literally, if COVID nineteen would speak, it would actually say it's me against the world the whole world is fighting covid and for me that in and of itself is encouraging to know that you're not doing this in one little corner of the world this is happening across the globe and human beings have always achieved wonders church and you know this human beings have always achieved wonders under the right motivation. And I think the motivation is right. We have the motivation to live, to go back to our normal lives, to resume our routines. We have motivations to survive. And that is motivation enough. Motivation enough. There's a saying that I have used a couple of times and I have actual experience on the same. They say that it is not the size of the dog in the fight that matters, but the size of the fight in the dog that matters. I like that a lot. I'll say that again. It is not the size of the dog in the fight that matters, but it is the size of the fight. But it's the size of the fight in the dog, I hope I said that correctly, that matters. It's not the size of the dog but the size of the fight in the dog 
that matters. And I think you can tell the determination out there. It's amazing. So to our scripture now, Acts 27, Paul needs to go and um, face Caesar in Rome because it has been determined that um, he needs to go to Rome. Um, when it was decided, I'm reading verse 1, that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that, he might, so that they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across open sea of the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Maya in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Snyders, off Snyders. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete opposite Salmon. We moved, along, we moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lachia. Much time had been lost and sailing had become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, and I wanted to hear this, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, follow this closely, church, but the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship since and the owner of the ship, since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw the opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Now, let me, let me be very clear on this and I will be quick. So you have a prisoner who is joining other prisoners and they are banded together and they have to be taken to Rome so that they can face justice. So, very key, Paul is a prisoner on this ship. So, Paul tells the captain... Uh, gentlemen, I think we should stay where we are because I see a problem ahead. I think or I believe or I know, I'm convinced that this journey is going to be disastrous. That is a word from a prisoner. Now, the scripture says, I want to see this very, very clearly. 
I'm reading verse, nine, verse 10 again. Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But now, let's look at verse 11. The centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot. The centurion is the commander, the in charge, the soldier in charge of the prisoners. He followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. I need to stop there and ask you a question. Would you blame him? Why would you listen to a prisoner and yet you have a seasoned pilot, a seasoned sailor? So obviously the man listened to the advice of the pilot. You can't blame him. Number two, the owner of the ship. The man has interest. The man is saying, look, this is my ship and any more time it spends harboring here, I'm losing money. In any case, who are you? You're just a mere prisoner. And then, this is number three. These are the things that are militating against what Paul is saying. And Paul is speaking from the Lord. Please take note of that. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter, so even the weather is militating against Paul. I mean, how many things can go wrong? Since the harbor was unsuitable. In other words, we can't even winter in this place. Number four, reading on verse 12, the part B of it says, the majority, including the other prisoners, decided that we should sail on. I mean, even democracy worked against this man. Hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. So this is a man speaking from God, saying, I can I, I perceive God is talking to me, God is telling me, and I'm sure you've been there a number of times when you are so convinced of something, but then everything that can go wrong starts going wrong around you. The centurion listened to the advice of the pilot. I can't blame the man for one bit. Uh, uh, he also listened to the owner of the ship. I mean, that is not his ship. The owner of the ship says, let's sail. And, and so obviously that makes a lot of sense. And also the weather is against what Paul is saying. And much more even democracy. The majority decided that we should sail on. Now, this is what always happens, church. And I'll be quick on this one. Whenever you have a conviction from God, whenever you have a conviction from God, I put it to you and I put it to you very strongly. There will be so many things around you that will want to convince you otherwise. There are people today with the present circumstance that we find ourselves in that are wondering, did I hear God right? Because you are so certain that your business was going to come through. You are so convinced that there are certain things that this year was going to bring your way. But then everything that can go wrong has started going wrong with this COVID-19 issues. I want to remind you what I said earlier. Life answers to what it must. And I will draw your attention to verse 24. Verse 24 happens after these people have sailed and have been shipwrecked. 
In other words, there has been a mighty tempest and you read these scriptures in your free time and the ship has been broken or before the ship is broken, the people have begun losing hope. They haven't eaten for many days. They haven't seen light for many days. All hope is lost. In the midst of all that, verse 20, let's start from verse 21, if you may. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would not have spared, then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be lost. Last night, verse 23, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. Hear this. This is verse 24. You must, you must stand trial before Caesar. That is God speaking. You must. Remember what we said earlier? Life answers to what it must. You must stand before Caesar. Church, I want to put it to you and I want to put it to you very, very strongly. There are things which God has said in your life, in our lives, that must happen. I think it is good you recast those visions again. Remind yourself of your must in God. Remind yourself of your musts in God. Because it will be very easy to be cowed and silenced by the so many things that will start to militate against you. So Paul tells them, you must, or rather he reminds them, that the angel of God told him that he must stand before Caesar. Ladies and gentlemen, it is important that we realize that there is going to be a time and a day. Yes, it's happening. It doesn't look like that. Darkness covers the land. The sheep may be lost. And somebody may say, but pastor, why would God allow for there to be lost? Let me put it to you because it is important, especially now when many of us ministers are not speaking the right things. There is no victory, church. There is no victory. There is no victory that comes without scars. It is impossible to envision any battle where you come out victorious and without pain. There are no painless victories. There are some things we're going to lose. I put it to you, church. We shall be spared, but there will be some scars. There's a quote that goes, for every five-star general, he has five scars. For every five-star general, there are five scars. When you watch fights, for example, when you watch boxing, 
you see the man whose hand is lifted at the end of the fight because he has won is bloodied, beaten, puffed up face, nose broken, one eye shut. Yet his hand is lifted for victory because there are no painless, no painless victories. I watched a movie this week and uh, this guy got into some really terrible fight and when he went back home, you know, the wife was saying, you don't look good, you, you, your heart. And I like the statement that he said to the wife. He said, you should see the other guy. If you think I'm looking bad, you should see the other guy. In other words, I could be bloodied and battered, but I'm still victorious. I'm going to say this quickly. The ridiculous and the miraculous are twins. Okay, this is my own coinage. I coined that one. The ridiculous and the miraculous are twins. Sometimes God will lead you in a certain direction that looks so ridiculous. How can Paul be saying don't move when everything else, I mean everything else from the weather, owner of the ship, captain, majority, democracy is saying don't move. It's ridiculous. But the ridiculous and the miraculous are twins. And so it may sound quite off when I say to you today, there'll be a day, there'll be a time, there'll be a moment. And I told you why I have a little ray of hope. Because the motivation is great now. Everybody, everybody's hand is on deck on this one. And I also believe far much more because there are some musts in God. There'll be a day, there is a time outside, beyond this corona scourge. But while it lasts, I want to repeat, while it lasts, while we suffer the torturous moments of isolation, like I told you, it happens in jails, let's make our little jails a little heaven. Let's squeeze a lot of laughter in our isolations. Let's try new things. Let's keep our wits around ourselves. I want to finish by telling you something which most of you by now know that I am an avid Liverpool fan for the longest time. And if you go to if you just did a little Google search on the greatest football comebacks in the history of football, you will come across one where Liverpool, this amazing, amazing team, English team, was playing the UEFA Finals, the Champions League. That should have been 2005, if my memory serves me right. In actual fact, I think I've got um, the dates correctly now. 2005, May 25th. You can be sure I was awake and very alert. So here is Liverpool in Istanbul, Turkey, playing the most fancied team at that time, AC Milan. They say that in the bookmakers... 
um, uh, uh, all the people were supporting or the 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 the, the team regarded favorite by far was AC Milan, obviously because they had fantastic players and a better track record. So here comes Liverpool, final day, great day, <clears throat> Champions League final. Istanbul, Turkey, first minute, first minute, Dakika Kwanza, 60 seconds. Liverpool is down one goal. One gentleman by the name of Paolo Maldini, some may remember him, scores the first goal. Not too far from that time, a gentleman called Henan Crespo scores two more goals. By halftime, Liverpool are three goals down. At that particular time, hope is lost. Hope is lost. Did I tell you, church, if I can digress just slightly, that I've always believed and enjoyed to see the triumph of the human soul. I think for me that is the most amazing thing. And I think this represented the apex of the triumph of the human soul. Come second half and things are not looking good. When the cameras are pointed at the Liverpool fans, those of you who remember, they are weeping, they are covering their faces with shame, the game is going terribly wrong against them. In actual fact, they don't look like they're the ones who are going to score the next one. It looks like AC Milan will score and win the game with a landslide. But, like the Wikipedia puts it, they call it the miracle of Istanbul. Istanbul, sorry. The miracle of Istanbul. Well, a goal is scored by Liverpool. Before long, two more goals right at the very end is scored by Liverpool. The game ends 3-3. Extra time remains 3-3. Penalties, Liverpool wins. The triumph of the human soul. When the motivation is right, when the motivation is right, it doesn't matter the size of the dog in the fight, but it's the size of the fight in the dog. Church, we're stepping out of this thing sooner than later. Keep your hope, your trust in the Almighty God. Don't lose sight of the great things that are still yet to be accomplished. And the God who spoke to you, you must stand before Caesar. He will bring that to fruition. May God richly bless you, church. Enjoy the week that is ahead. Call somebody this week. Call somebody that you know who is not as privileged as you are. Encourage them. If you are able assist them in one way or another. Let's lift each other's burdens and let's keep praying for each other. My wife and I pray for you and trust that God is going to bring us all to the other side safely. May God bless you. Great week. Thank you very much.